a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack, where we talk superheroes, movies, animation, comics, and much, much more. I am your host, Josh Scar, and joining me this week is everyone's favorite loth cat, Alex. Alex, how you doing? I am doing fantastic. I am just impressed because I, I love that fall begins with a sudden stop of summer and a hard break into fall. AC, <laughs> it was 81 on Wednesday. AC was on. This morning woke up. It is 58. The house is freezing. Have to turn on the temperature. And as you know, when you turn on those lovely gas furnaces, it smells like burning hair and fire for about 35 minutes in your house. Yep. We, we got our oldest a little terrified because they've become really weirdly obsessed with natural disasters and fires because like they're doing safety talks in school. And so every now and then they will ask us questions like, what if what if there's a tornado? What if lightning strikes our house? What if this? What if that? And it's like none of that's going to happen. It is very unlikely it's going to happen. It, we don't smoke. We don't leave the, certain things running. We don't have space heaters. Like none of that is unless there's like a really weird thing that happens with the, our outlets, which we have all updated and replaced. Nothing is really set to go on fire in our house. And then they, with us telling them that like it's going to smell like something's burning because the dust and hair and everything is going to like burn up when the the heat turns on and they just got this panicked look on their face <laughs> of like the house is going to be on fire like no it's going to smell like something is burning didn't say there was going to be fire and then they just were trying to just like process that statement of it will smell like burning but there will be no fire yep now i'm surprised when you guys discussed briefly the concept of a tornado, you didn't educate them that, well, what happens is the sirens go off and we go outside on our front yard to confirm it. There is, in fact, a tornado. <laughs> Nod, see it's head hitting the um, the, gu- the Gustafsons and just walk back out inside the house and go, yep, yep, they deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we actually don't live too far from the apple orchard. And I remember about, God, this would have been 15 years ago. I was I was working at a, uh, a gym, a guy, if you will. And there's big glass doors on the outside and you see the skies turning green and you go, oh, that's not great. And I get out of work and all I hear is like people mourning like like some important figure had died. And I find out that the apple orchard got hit by the tornado and it, like a tree fell into the main building. It wasn't horrible, but they needed to update it and it was closed for a season. But I, I just remember everyone be like, oh, I won't get my apple cider donuts for a year. <laughs> Like there's a second one just up the way. You can go get them there. No, no, no. There, There's a good one and a bad one. And unfortunately, the other one has, has, has its own stuff. It's branded. It's the East location. No, West location. Sorry. It can't have the proper name. It must be branded West. Their, their, uh, <laughs> their apples are branded West. Their bags, everything. So they know that you're scum and you went to the other one. <laughs> That's true. I forget about that part. All right, well, we are going to talk about Ahsoka this week. But first, Alex, you have some sad news to share with us. Not that you're leaving the podcast, but there's like worldly sad news, not just like internal sad news. 
So it is, I think it's important to note that on the day of this recording, the Costumes Guild announced that Shauna Tropic, who is the costume designer for Ahsoka, The Mandalorian, Hildago, various other properties, but they passed away unexpectedly at the age of 56, uh, according to what they noted, that she was actually on vacation, like enjoying, enjoying a trip, and it was very unexpected. So somebody that has been in such nerd lore, I mean, they did Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog, the cabin in the woods. You know, it's, it's sad that somebody who has, who has staked their claim. Yeah, no, you, when you shared that with me and I saw their, their cast, their uh, credits, I was like, oh dang, these people worked on a lot of stuff that I, I liked. Yeah. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, 40 episodes. Yeah. You like all those uh, very specific red, white, green, <laughs> <laughs> black, purple, pink yellow blue outfits that all the the power rangers were wearing that was this person yeah now i will say that this is the one this part to bring a little bit of levity because i actually have questions and i really want to ask what this what this job actually entails and we can ask david decoffany because actually as you may remember david decoffany was doing the x-files and the red shoe diaries at the same time and she was the costume, sorry, the wardrobe specialist on Red Shoe Diaries. So that's a question I have. What do they do on a on a on a softcore porn <laughs> made for TV show? What is the wardrobe designer? What does this job entail? Does like do they have to like easily removable? Uh, <laughs> yeah, is that, yeah. Do they like put in like you know like little seam rips and stuff like that? You know, for easy tearaway clothing. Like, how is that work and that is actually a question i've also wanted to ask david coffee that i've never seen anyone ask him why the hell were you doing a skinamax softcore porn show and x-files at the same time gotta make money where you can man yeah evolution didn't do anything for his career <laughs> true but seriously uh Tropic, it the this this styles that she has done and the way that because like the Mando, that is an iconic look. His, I mean, yes, it is like mostly Beskar now, but you can tell just by the stand, the posture, the outfit that that is a look. You can, you know, they denoting what the other Mandos looked like. I, I really want to know how much specific detail and costuming they had to do with for um for the armor because that look is just gorgeous and. There's just there's something amazing about really well done costume design. Say what you want about the writing. The shows look damn good. <laughs> yeah. So, so Shauna, I'm not sure if it's Tropsick or Tropchick, uh, T-R-P-C-I-C, an unsung legend. Uh, many might some might say um, I, I think we can go on the record as saying an unsung legend in the, the wardrobe department. Uh, she will be missed. Uh, 56, way too young. Very. But we are going to hear from our friend Matt and Adam over at Decaying with the Boys. And when we come back, we're going to talk about Ahsoka. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Judge Jordan. You know who it is. Whoa, 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 Matt. This isn't an episode. This is our promo. Well, what's the promo? 
just to tell everybody about our podcast, K with the Boys. Oh, where you and I get together and talk about craft beer and combat sports and horror movies and whatever else is on our mind? Yeah, from Buckle to Bell, we cover the best combat news in the biz. Oh, yeah, we do do that, don't we? Yeah, every week. Yeah, and you can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, and on YouTube. We're at GNWTV on all social media. So catch us out there and have a beer with us. Cheers. I don't know how many times I've listened to that promo, but I just caught that Matt says doo-doo. <laughs> you never caught that? <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm always just entranced with their energy and like Matt just has a great voice. And yeah, uh, I, I, I just, again, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to it now and like actively listening. And I mm-hmm. heard him. So we do do that. <laughs> doo-doo. <laughs> So speaking of doo-doo, let's talk about the writing. Oh, no, of don't talk. say that. No. <laughs> I was thinking about that transition. I was like, no, I can't do that. That's that's not fair. That's not right. As a as one of my favorite streamers said, if you want to take the high road, I'll be there. But if you want to take the low road, I'll meet you there. <laughs> and I went right for the doo-doo joke. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yup. I mean, I, I, I inadvertently set it up, but <laughs> it was it was unintentional this time. <laughs> So we have, I don't even know if it's appropriately named as the Ahsoka show, uh, the latest installment in the Star Wars universe. I, I liked it as someone who has seen the Clone Wars, Rebels, and I've invested in all of these other live action shows, starting with Mando and Book of Boba Fett even. But this was Dave Filoni's Infinity War. Dave went, hey, casuals. Have you seen Clone Wars? Have you seen Rebels? Have you even maybe seen Star Wars Resistance? Too fucking bad. You need to know this shit. Otherwise, you're going to be like, it was fine. I I don't know. I don't I don't care. Like there's so much of that first episode where it's just like casuals. Ezra is important. We love Ezra. You need to get on the Ezra train. And you need to come along with us on this ride. Otherwise, if you're not invested in Ezra, nothing else matters to you. (laughs) You're just watching some really good Star Wars cosplay. So this is my feeling on it. I I, I did not particularly like the Clone Wars. I understand that around season two, that got a lot better, but it was on Cartoon Network. It wasn't very well watched. Um, It got maybe like a million people an episode. Rebels was was on disney was it xd or disney main disney xd and that was getting like two three hundred thousand people it lasted a few seasons so you have these cult cartoon i mean i i am not one of those people who's like it's a cartoon so it's for children no cartoons can be any age cartoons can be any medium and that is actually what i think pixar has somewhat fallen away from is that they have kind of forgotten that but there is good writing in the Clone Wars. Some of the stuff I've seen, some of the stuff you've shown, I just don't feel particularly interested in going back and watching. The animation style has always bothered me. Um, I think there's this weird lean lately towards animation that is intentionally kind of ugly looking. Like um, like Bob's Burgers. I, I understand that I have fan, uh, friends who love that show, who worship it. But I am so disinterested because of the animation and the voice acting. It's kind of like Archer. I don't understand why everybody on Archer is always screaming <laughs> their lines. <laughs> that super bothers me. I mean, yes, some of it's funny, but like I just Clone Wars just doesn't look right to me. And um, Rebels is well 
the, the design just kind of pushed at me in a weird way that I didn't particularly like. So I didn't go back and I see these episodes and I'm vaguely aware that they're important. Now I will say there's one thing that I immediately latched onto that is very important. That is very dire. And I think is something that needs to be in the front of everyone's minds for any Star Wars properties. Chopper is best boy. Chopper is the best. He is the best cat. He is the best robot uncle, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call him. That that little scene at the end where Chopper is like making the googly, like little googly sounds while like the little head tippy thing does. And it turns out that the stormtrooper is Ezra heart right there, <laughs> right in the heart. Yeah. Which um, I'm, I'm going to take that as a, a Dave Filoni win uh, because Chopper is voiced by Dave Filoni. Chopper is the worst character on the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of like Kenny. I'm, I think they're saying stuff, but I'm not sure they're actually saying stuff. But mm-hmm. I know the intention, you know? Yep. You can get you get the inflection more than you do with R2 other than when he does like the the little like ooh, mm-hmm. ooh sounds like yeah. anything else with R2. You're just like that. It's beeps and whistles like he could have just cursed my mother or said, I look handsome today. I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, the OK, so this is the this is a a, a mild knock that I have. Is there a specific reason why Hera, Hera wears the like um, the World War Ace pilot goggles, even though she's in a ship with a glass with a windscreen? Um, there, there is no canon explanation other okay. than it's it's kind of like when in, in modern times you have like Donatello wears glasses now because he's the nerdy guy oh, okay. uh, in in. Uh, the Bad Batch, the Clone Wars spinoff, you have Tech, who is uh, a clone who also wears glasses or specs or something. Uh, it's to signify like, oh, this person is like a good pilot. OK. OK, so they just carried that. They just carried that over. Yeah, which okay. I, I think they Hera, Hera looks fantastic. Mary Elizabeth Winstead, the minute they cast her, I'm like, she better be fucking Hera because I don't know who else she's going to be in the show. And I think she did a really good job as Hera. Um, I would have, with as much of this show is just like Clone Wars 1.5, or not Clone Wars, Rebels 1.5, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of them diving into who Hera is. Because mm-hmm. um, I know, among other things, she has like a French-ish accent that she hides because she doesn't want people to know that to know that she is uh, Twilight royalty. Oh, okay. Just because I didn't completely understand this, because admittedly, you know, as you said, it's his Infinity War. And if you didn't watch the first 95 episodes, you're going to be a little lost. Do she and Ezra have a thing? Because there is something about like the music and the framing of so, them looking at each other that I'm like, are they going to are they going to make out? <laughs> do I get some? So, twi- do I finally get some Twilight making out scenes that I've been wanting in a live action Star Wars forever? And I've never get <laughs> so. Star Wars Rebels is essentially a family drama, for lack of a better word. You have Hera and Kanan, who are space mom and space dad. Okay. They are also in an unspoken relationship. Like, they they are, like, in love with each other, but for whatever reason, they never say it. But they are, like, openly physical and, like, flirty with each other. Then you mm-hmm. have Zeb, who is, like, uncle. He is he showed up in season three of Mando. He didn't show up at all in this, which I'm a little disappointed by. But I'm guessing budget cuts 
really impacted having a fully CGI character. Yeah. And then you have Sabine, Ezra, who are kids. And then you have Chopper, who is the cat. Okay. So that would be no. <laughs> <laughs> Not no, because it's it's more Ezra has been reunited with his surrogate mother. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's disappointing because I was like, it's like, okay, they told me he's super important. And that look was a little Folgers, like siblings kind of look thing. You remember that commercial from like 10 years ago? Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> the really awkward sibling Folgers yeah. commercial. For anyone, you know, under the age of like 25, Google it. <laughs> yeah. It, it won't hit creepy Folgers commercial and it'll be the first thing that comes up. Speaking of like going back and watching 95 episodes of the Clone Wars or 100 episodes of the Clone Wars and how 70 episodes of Rebels. And I I don't think I'm gatekeeping. I don't mm-hmm. think I'm doing like a canon thing. I think it's more just like I really wish they would respect the stories that they have told because mm-hmm. in episode two of Ahsoka, when she and Sabine go off on their adventure, they recreate the very end of Star Wars Rebels with the exception of the fact that they have like backtracked Ahsoka's character. Ahsoka is still her like, I'm no Jedi. I'm just a force sensitive person who is acting in the name of good. And she's she's not in in Rebels. She has this like Jedi priestess kind of look. She's wearing like the all white robe. She's got this big staff and she's like, I know where we're going. We're going to go get Ezra. But in this, they go, there's a prophecy that was created 20 years ago when Ezra disappeared with Thrawn. Who made the prophecy? We don't care. There's also this map that was created because somehow someone knew that Ezra took the Pergil to take Thrawn somewhere far away, but they made the map and then hit it 20 years ago. And we've lost it to time. I don't know. Like there, there's a lot of really weird storytelling holes that going beyond just like changing Ahsoka's characterization from Re- the end of Rebels into this show just to make her have a journey that gets her to that point at eventually anyway. I, I just I as someone who invested in Rebels, I feel like it's a little bit of a slap in the face because they also did that in The Bad Batch, where if you had read the Kanan series when star wars rebels season one came out kanan's origin story of when his master was killed and order 66 and everything is very different from what happens in the bad batch where the bad batch are the ones who save him from being killed by the order 66 clones and it's not like there's wiggle room to be like oh this happened it's like wicked you just you're just missing the full picture it's not that at all they're just completely changing it for the general audience who only watches the live action stuff, who doesn't go into the further stuff, which again, fine, you can do that. But I think it's disrespectful to the creators and to the fans who have invested in that. If you're going to say like, Oh, this is a side story and it doesn't necessarily affect the whole picture of the live action stuff. Fine. But you, I don't think that it's okay to just change this, the narrative because live action draws more eyes, if that makes any sense. No, it it completely makes sense because that is something that Star Wars fans have been dealing with forever because before Lucas sold it, it was, there were tears. There was actually literal tears of canon. There was 
Lucas Cannon, which is this, if Lucas said it in an interview on a side, it was Cannon. And then under Lucas Cannon was the movies. And then under the movies was like the cartoon and then the cartoon was like the video games. And then under the video games were the books. And then sometimes the books superseded things. So, you know, that's the way it was. There were, there were tears and it sounds like, and when they announced the new movies, they said, Hey, listen, everything is gone except for the movies and maybe Clone Wars. And now it sounds like that they're starting to get that problem again, where if they're releasing this material and you've invested in it and then something comes out and just completely rewrites it. Yeah. You have, I think you have a right to be annoyed. I mean, a lot of the material that was in one, two was one, two and three is direct from the books. I mean, yes, they changed the Darth Maul's origin and uh, some other stuff, but Coruscant was the name city was the big city. Um, Rogue One, uh, someone famously confirmed that kyber crystals were what powers lightsabers and that the Empire was looking for them because they were trying to like monopolize them. And they also kyber crystals burst for some other some other stuff. So there's plenty of, you know, Easter eggs and things that get brought forth into the live action for the quote unquote the masses. But I mean, if you already have a niche market of Clone Wars and Rebels and then Ahsoka, who is, I mean, most people aren't going to really know who she is unless you, they paid attention to Clone Wars and Rebels or her brief appearance and a half in two episodes one, of two one different and a half shows. Episodes of, yeah, one and a yeah. half. Then, yeah, you have a right to be like, why? What? What's going on here? Because you're supposed to be the one along for the ride explaining to me what's going on here. And instead, yeah. you're like, one minute. <laughs> And I mean, that's a a really good uh, transition into um, something I wanted to bring up because the very first thing we see Ahsoka do is uh, an environmental puzzle. Like they're trying to emulate Indiana Jones or something where she drops down into a a temple and she she does a thing and she gets the map. We don't she doesn't know how to open the map. But the very first thing we see her do is a very boring environmental puzzle where she's just like putting her ear up to these stone tablets or stone pillars and spinning them till they click, which like doesn't seem like she should be focusing that hard on it because of the the sound design. Uh, But Mr. Sunday Movies put it really well, and I wanted to uh, I think he puts it better than I ever could. So uh, we're going to listen to Mr. Sunday Movies here for about 40 seconds and we'll be right back. Well, some of the things that I didn't like is like there was a few moments and it opens with this where Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka, she's in like a room, Mm -hmm. like a stone room, and she's like slowly turning pillars. She's doing an environmental puzzle from Uncharted. Yeah. And there's another, exactly. And there's another moment where she's looking at a ball, someone's looking at a ball and clicking it. And there's another moment where people are like looking at a hologram map and trying to figure something out. And the thing is, as a viewer, all this shit is fucking indecipherable. Mm. Like if I was watching somebody puzzling something out and you're watching it with them, mm. then that's interesting. But if you're just turning stone pillars, I don't know what any of this does. So right. I'm just watching somebody slowly do an environmental puzzle. And I think that that puts a nail on the head on the first two episodes as to like why I think they move so slowly is because a large portion of the plot around those episodes is those environmental puzzles. Ahsoka's doing the pillar thing and then Sabine they, they're like oh Sabine has the artist's eye and so she Sabine's like messing around with the little Rubik's cubed sphere and she's like oh these things go together and then she solves it and it's like okay like I understand the reason you gave me as to why she solved this but like you're still not telling me the importance of it you're not letting me go on this journey with that person this person is just telling me what's going on through 
the scene that they're acting out in. I'm going off on a huge tangent here because it just popped back into my head. When you were talking about the art in Star Wars Rebels, particularly Star Wars Rebels, the art in that show is actually inspired by the concept art for the original Star Wars by Ralph McQuarrie. Oh. Which is why it looks so weird. Okay. So like Zeb is designed after um, his original, Ralph McQuarrie's original concept for Chewbacca. Like it, it's updated and it, it doesn't look quite as awful, but it you can see the resemblance in it. And like the lightsabers are thinner because Ralph McQuarrie had envisioned them being like not not as thick as like bamboo rods, but more twiggy. And so that's why when you look at the lightsabers in Star Wars Rebels, there's different uh, aesthetic inspirations because of Ralph McQuarrie. Tangent over. I think this show really picks up in the middle of episode two when Ahsoka and Hera go off on their quick little adventure where we find out that uh, one of Dr. House's uh, colleagues has uh, been working with the Empire running shady deals and... <clears throat> excuse me, I'm still dealing with a little bit of the, that cold from last week. And that's when we get introduced to Chopper for the first time, where it's like, hey, did you touch my stuff? And like, you can understand him almost perfectly. Like, I didn't touch your stuff. I didn't move your stuff. Yes, you did. I, like, it, this is just great. And like, there's yeah. good action. And I think that's where the show picked up for me, because those first like 45, 50 minutes of the show, maybe 60, until you get to that chase scene, really were kind of slow and i'm like what's the point of this <laughs> because you're telling me how important ezra is i've seen rebels i know it and i know you have to catch up the casuals who only watch the live action stuff that's fine but you also have to make it entertaining for everyone still <clears throat> speaking of making it entertaining for everyone i honestly didn't give a damn until episode five <laughs> because i was like okay so she's in a coma okay whatever oh okay mysticism I like mysticism, uh, flashbacks. I like flashbacks, fighting yourself, your your past, your teachings. I'm I'm okay with this. Poorly CGI'd, uh, de-aged uh, Hayden Christensen. Okay, I'm fine with that too. <laughs> but that's where I actually felt like, okay, so to me, Dave Filoni, I enjoy watching his interviews because you can tell he's a huge fanboy. His dogmatic defense of the original three star wars movies and the themes present in them just sometimes listening to him talk about themes of like you know fathers and sons and falling and people's failures and all the stuff that he actually gets from those movies and from you know speaking with lucas and the archives and all stuff is beautiful like he 100 percent understands the intention and why we as fans have loved this franchise for almost 50 years now. And so when he is in his element, I feel like it is when he's able to play with the old and the new and that. And so, you know, parts five and six, I, I thought were just great. Uh, just the whole, like the best part of Obi-Wan was when Obi-Wan and Vader were seeing each other again. I did not particularly like the bullshitty line of, you know, you didn't fail Anakin, I killed him thing. You know, that's kind of like a bullshitty mm -hmm. plot hole, spackle thing. Yep. You, know, you know, that's... But the line still works. The moments between them still work. And that is what I thought worked well there. And I will go a little bit further and say, 
I've always loved Sith witches and I want a Sith witch and I want to, I want to swear to them. <laughs> I, that entire oath, I was just like, I mean, that oath was like five lines that took 10 minutes to film because they said, pad your lines, please repeat them slowly. <laughs> but I would, as three creepy Sith witches approached me asking me to re- renege all that I was and, you know, and swear allegiance to them so they can come over and touch me on the forehead gently and then burn the hell out of me and give me Sith powers. I am down for that don't forget a cool glowy green sword that okay that is a question i have so we have lightsabers we have vibroblades now mr filoni has decided to introduce dark tapes dark sabers and now green sabers (laughs) will there be in fact be purple blades green uh orange blades well you have to remember the dark saber is a lightsaber that has been it's a lightsaber that has been appropriated by the mandalorian hierarchy i guess are you suggesting that the Mandalorians culturally appropriated from a small group of mystic monks? No, I'm just saying they took the lightsaber. <laughs> <laughs> when I, that green, like, I was like, ooh, what are they going to give her? And then the, this green blade appeared. I'm like, I heard in my head the Zord appear, like the Zord sound. I'm like, come on, Tommy. It's like, come on, Tommy. Pop out and take that blade. Go whip some, light, go whip some Jedi ass. But I, there is there is good moments in this show. I just was bored for a lot of it because the flaw of the show is that it's doing a lot of setup. And like I said, it's the Infinity War. It, yeah. But the problem is it doesn't tell a full story within itself. It, it it falls a little short of that. It's not quite across the Spider Verse, but it's not Infinity War. It's a weird in between because there are some characters who fulfill their arc. Like Sabine, it, it's completely telegraphed. You know what's going to happen, which I I didn't particularly care for her arc, not because I don't think that she is a quote unquote Mary Sue like has been going around. I think it's more she is interesting as a Mandalorian, especially in a, as a Mandalorian who does want to try and tap into the Force. I just right. don't think it's interesting that she is like fully Force sensitive now. Like she is fully yeah. capable of just manipulating the force as she needs to i think if she had like just a little bit like she had just enough oomph to do something i think that's more interesting than my life's in danger oh i've pulled the lightsaber to me i've unlocked my potential i'm good to go i'm a i'm a jedi now or i'm at least a padawan i i think it's more interesting to talk about how or, or like you can continue to build it up even like get her to that point. It's yeah. not zero to a hundred. It, there, it can be zero to 20 and then you can continue to build up those powers and she can like hit roadblocks. And I think that's more interesting instead of just going like, look, you see these two Sith uh, master and apprentices that we have in Balin Skull and Shin Hati. Well, we've also got an, a master and apprentice in Ahsoka and Sabine. Look, they're two sides of a different of the same coin, except one is still working towards their like synchronicity, and the other one is fully in sync. Look at that. They're bye 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 in. Yeah. Um, but to to go back a little bit to what you're talking about with the mysticism and flashbacks to the Clone Wars and stuff. So that wasn't like a coma or like a fever dream. Somehow Ahsoka fell into what is called the world between worlds. Uh, This was a big plot point in season four of Star Wars Rebels, and it looks like it's going to play into season two of Ahsoka if there is a season two or 
if it's if this is building up into the big team up movie. So what the world's between worlds is is it's a big old MacGuffin that allows whoever is in there to view points in time. They can't necessarily change it because according to what Star Wars Rebels said, everything is like a fixed point in time. So like spoiler alert uh, for Star Wars Rebels season four, if you do not want to be spoiled, skip ahead like 15, 20 seconds. Kanan Jarrus dies in a heroic act, saving the Rebels crew. And Ezra goes into the world between worlds accidentally as well. And he, he sees Kanan saving himself. But if he were to go and save Kanan in the world between worlds, the past would change and Ezra would die. So it's a fixed point in time. This now explains why Disney bought the rights to Doctor Who. Because in (laughs) Doctor Who, you can go back and change most everything. But there are fixed points in time that cannot be changed. Exactly. And um, in in season two of Rebels, which I think the the two-part finale in season two of Rebels is like some of the best Star Wars stuff we will ever see. I would strongly recommend it, even if you don't like animation. Ahsoka faces off with Darth Vader in the final moments of that episode. And in season four of Rebels, uh, Ezra saves her because her fate is kind of left unclear throughout season three and most of season four. Um, But what happens is Ezra pulled her into the world between worlds before she got crushed by a Sith uh, temple. And so now she's a few months into the future from there. And so when she when Ahsoka enters the world between worlds, she's visited by Anakin's force ghost and he takes her through some points in time to teach her a lesson and finish her training. As he says, I don't fully understand what the lesson was. I've watched that episode a couple times since. And it sounds like the lesson or the, the lesson I walk away with is that Ahsoka didn't fully understand her training because she was trained in a time of war. And so she thought she was just trained to be a weapon when in fact she was trained to be a Jedi and there's more to being a Jedi than lightsabers and fighting. I don't think that message is particularly clear, but that's just the best I can come up with. I have no idea what the lesson was, but I'm leaning towards. And she's also, she's also concerned because she's afraid of what she can become because she was trained by the guy who would eventually become Darth Vader. So yeah. she's scared of herself as well. And that's holding her back from accepting what a Jedi truly is. But again, it's real murky as to what they're trying to convey with that. Yeah. So, I mean, part of what I think is that is that to me, they're stealing or setting up a lot of seven, eight, and nine because like Thrawn goes something along the lines of like the one who trained you and became blah, 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 blah. It's like, okay, so you're aware that Anakin was Darth Vader or Darth Vader, whatever, whatever you want to be like, okay, sure. I mean, it probably was an open Imperial secret, I imagine. Um, yeah, if you all, hit a certain point in the Imperial ranks, you probably had that secret or... Or I mean, yeah. he's Thrawn. He probably just hacked into it and studied it and went, yup. Or, <laughs> yeah, or yeah, I mean, well, he's Thrawn. He probably just deduced it because Thrawn's supposed to be an uber genius. True. Um, but... So I I think that was like her trying to reconcile her quitting, but also her, I I partially wonder if it's her expressing guilt that she abandoned him and he, then he fell. It's like episode nine where, where bitch face needed to understand that he needed to forgive himself for killing his father. So (laughs) for killing Han Solo. So she needed to forgive herself for him, for him falling 
and not being able to save him. I partially wonder if that's what it was because I could see that too. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a really good point because part of Anakin's fall as well is that he felt like he did not save Ahsoka, right? Which Clone Wars kind of throws a weird wrench into because he literally saw her like 48 hours before he became Darth Vader. Yeah, but then there's also that, I mean, he was also heavily manipulated. I mean, part of the thing is when he awoke, when he first awoke as Vader, you know, he'd been promised all this bullshit by Palpatine. The first thing he's, the first thing he's told is that like, no, 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 you killed your wife and children. You know, it's the, it's the constant manipulation of what Vader is. So I, I do wonder if that's is like she I mean, I'm assuming she didn't know about Luke and Leia until far later. But I'm assuming I'm wondering if that's part of Soka's pain is that she saw him right before he fell and therefore she now needs to forgive herself. Um, yeah, and it's it's possible she, I, if I remember in Tales of the Jedi, she was at Padme's funeral, so she would have seen her buried pregnant. So she would she would not have known about Luke and Leia. OK. I did not know that. But yeah, but going back to that, that is the stuff I like. And that is the stuff where I feel like he's excels. As Mr. Sunday said, he they do not know how to do frame environmental puzzles because that is the best part of environmental puzzles is you are figuring out it out as it happens. Um, like those columns she was spinning. To me, I was looking at them going like, man, they just ripped off Fifth Element. But when they did that in the end of the Fifth Element, you had a group of people. You had these things and you're trying to figure out what they are, how they work. And you figure them out together. Yeah. And you have the ticking clock going as well with that, where right. Ahsoka is just wandering around by herself and she drops down into this cavern temple, whatever. And she she does a quick little turn like she's picking a, a, a dial lock or something. OK, so I do have another question for you uh, regarding uh, Ahsoka's white blades. Are those the ones that she was given as a Padawan? I think she's always been known for them, right? No. So her, okay. her first lightsaber, I believe, was green. And then uh, she eventually adopted a dual blade system. And then when she retired from the Jedi Order, uh, after being framed by the by another Padawan for bombing, I think the the Senate, when she came back, Anakin gave her back her same dual lightsabers, but he had adjusted them to be blue. I forget how I, I th there's like a manipulation tactic where like force sensitive people can talk with the lightsabers and they can convert them in a way. And like Filoni used the, the conversion from green to blue as like a way of showing how controlling Anakin is over the people he loves and cares about. Creepy. Yeah, that's the idea. <laughs> and so uh, when she, her white lightsabers, those are brand new lightsabers that she created after the siege of Mandalore and after the events of like uh, the order 66 Okay. And the white lightsabers are actually Inquisitor kyber crystals okay. that were uh, distorted into being red that she had confided with and like healed them in a way and they became white. Which okay. uh, that that leads a little bit into some of the finale talk, which we're getting close to our hour. So let's let's move into the finale anyway. Well, I have a specific question about those sure. white lightsabers. Is there a specific reason they don't do the hum? Or the like the you know the distortion, you know what I'm talking about. When you, the movies they ignite the lightsaber, they have that specific hum, and they have that little like you have the glow of the blade. Yeah, you see like the energy pulsing kind of thing, and you have that distortion like around it. And there's always been the fan theory because 
you look at um you look at Vader's, which is a more powerful glow than Obi-Wan's when he passes away. And then you have Luke's, which is a strong blue, but Luke's when he turns it, when he makes his own and it's green, is very powerful in Return of the Jedi versus Vader's red, which seems to be dimming. So there was, there's been a bit of fan theory that your connection with the force and your power in that moment causes a brightness and the width of the blade, so to say. Hers doesn't have any distortion at all. It's just like a glow stick. And I'm wondering I, if it's more just because it's white. Okay. So like it, it is it is pure. So therefore there's no distortion to it. Because if you look at the like the, the dark saber, the dark saber, it has that, you know, it has that black outline. Then it has and the interior has a little bit of white to it, but the outside has that, you know, you know what I'm talking about? The halo. It's got the thing. halo, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was wondering I, if there's like some kind of canon reason for that. My my best guess is that it's um it's because it's a, a, a healed crystal, so it, it is in some sense pure, purified. Okay. Um, so it's kind of like the but, opposite of um, of Kylo Ren, which is the, the explanation for him having the, the blade guards is that he... It's like his, an exhaust port because yeah, it's an he, unstable crystal. Yeah, because his crystal is unstable and broken like him, so it got... Yeah. To, okay, all right. Yeah, so th- that's that's my best guess. I, I don't know for sure. I haven't gone too far down that rabbit hole. Speaking of the rabbit hole, <laughs> for those that, again, are not aware, I'm going to be going on a, a tangent here from Star Wars, The Clone Wars, because where the last time we see Balin Skull, he's standing on top of a big statue that looks like Father Time, but that's actually the father who is like the embodiment of balance in the Force. And to his right is the sun, who is the embodiment of the dark side of the force. And to his left is a broken monument of the daughter, which is a monument to the light side of the force. Going to borrow a quote from Matt. There's some weird Star Wars bullshit, Dave Filoni bullshit that happens in the Clone Wars where (laughs) Ahsoka, Obi-Wan and Anakin got redirected somehow into a weird nothingness planet called Mortis, which is home to, I believe they're called the Others which is the father, the son, and the daughter. A whole thing happens where the son tries, sees like Anakin's future and shows it to Anakin, and Anakin's like, okay, I'll become one with the dark side to prevent that future, because that makes sense. And through a whole bunch of shenanigans, eventually Anakin fails because like his love for Obi-Wan and Ahsoka saves him, but then the, the son manipulates Ahsoka, and Ahsoka becomes his Padawan, essentially, and dies actually yeah she dies but the daughter also like sacrificed herself in a way and is dying and so she gives like whatever's left of her life force to ahsoka and revives her ahsoka now carries the spirit of the light side of the force within her and with that also comes a pet owl called morai who follows her around in moments of importance which is why in the the last shot we see of ahsoka there's this weird owl that like flies away which the the fan theory, which has not been substantiated yet, is that the spirit of the daughter now lives in the owl, Morai, and it shows up in moments of importance for Ahsoka. So like uh, when she is saved from the world between worlds by Ezra, it's waiting for her outside the Sith temple and it leads her away. So th- there's a whole thing about how like Ahsoka's white lightsaber crystals could also be tied to the fact that she's carrying the light side of the force within her, the manifestation of the light side of the force, not necessarily the entirety of it, but the manifestation of it. Uh, okay. Um, 
You just said this is a really bad Wikipedia breakdown of it. I'm sorry. Like, this is me just spitballing it. No, 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 no. No, that's fine. Does any of that lead us to getting Mara Jade out of the computer so Luke has a wife? Not yet, anyway. Um, I mean, let's see what Dave Filoni. Let's see what Dave Filoni does with his team up movie. Because <laughs> half of that crap, I'm like, that sounds about as right as some of that weird shit in the books, where it's like, Luke, we found the perfect person for you. She's a 1500 years old inside of a computer. <laughs> you just got to free her from it. <laughs> And it's a Sith battle cruiser, of, even though it's fifteen hundred years old. It's the most powerful thing I've ever built across the world, and blah 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 blah. But somehow it got lost. Let's not forget all that. So one more thing I have to I have to ask about because I'm still not quite sure I understand is Ray Stevenson and the creepy. Yes, he is dead. Okay, I'm sorry <laughs> to say he is dead. I know. No, I'm saying is is his character and the creepy blonde that travels with him are they Sith or Jedi or both? So my my understanding is I, I feel like the Dave Filoni is really loving to play like just just the tip with the yeah. great Jedi concept. He, okay. he wants to get in that spot, but he doesn't want to commit because great Jedi are dumb. Great Jedi are dumb. Yes. <laughs> now, the reason part of it is because using James Bond logic, if they're blonde, they're the bad guy. And she's really, really blonde and pale. Therefore, she is probably Russian and she is probably going to betray Ahsoka if they ever meet up again. That's just my logic. Because I'm looking at their storyline going, I'm not sure what you're doing, but I'm pretty sure you're both evil. But I don't know yet. (laughs) I am very curious what is going to happen with them because – I know there are a lot of people who were like, oh, my God, Ray Stevenson is redefining what it means to play a Star Wars villain. I don't subscribe to that because I have not seen enough of him to know what's going on. I think he's extraordinarily compelling because, like, he's not a Sith in the sense of, like, I desire absolute power. We don't really know what he desires. We don't know what he wants. We just know that he, I mean, from context, he wants to find the world between worlds. He just doesn't know what it is yet. Shin is just kind of he wants to continue something for the with the Jedi concept. He wants to improve on what the Jedi were. He is doing what he can with her to be more than a Jedi, but not quite a Sith because it doesn't seem like again he's he's seeking to manipulate in a way that is like destructive. Right. He he seems to understand that things are happening. He can't control it. He's just going to kind of flow with it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that'll take him to where he needs to go. But he trusts in the force enough that he knows the force will get him where he needs to go. He just doesn't know where that is yet. But he also clearly has an ulterior motive. He has some kind of motivation to, if he's going to the world between worlds, he wants to go back in time and change something. But what that is... We don't know because of how ambivalent he is towards uh, everything. Like right. Shin asks him directly, like, do you miss the Jedi Temple? Do you miss the Jedi Order? And he's like, I miss the idea of it. And that is intriguing as all hell. Like that that was a fantastic delivery. And I think that makes a world of sense for someone who has survived through the rebellion, the rise of the Empire, the Clone Wars 
and it, it's a it's a really good other side of the coin for Ahsoka okay. because it is kind of who she could have become. Okay. Thank you. That actually makes a lot more sense than what I got in the show. Now that we are desperately running quite late in the show and we haven't at all talked about Thrawn. No, Josh. I'm sorry. We, I'm sorry. We also haven't talked about Carson Tiva. I mean, MVP <laughs> of the show. Paul Sun Hyung Lee. Fantastic. And everything he's done. The only thing I will disagree with him on is that he's a Toronto Blue Jays fan, but he's from Toronto. So I will cut him some slack. <laughs> I was going to say we haven't talked about how bad the combat is because at one point I, I rewatched episode eight and I froze it and there were 20 stormtroopers on screen firing at three people and only like three shots were on screen at one point. Oh, my just, God. That wow. <laughs> that drove me nuts. Yar. Um, <laughs> I still don't yeah, know how I, they killed them. They just cut back and they're all dead. <laughs> like, well, not only that, but once they were resurrected as the night troopers, which you saw coming from a mile away. Yup. Um, the there were like three stormtroopers on screen that had blasters once they were resurrected the mm -hmm. rest of them were just walking and being zombies yeah and yet there was still like a shit ton of blaster fire coming at them mm -hmm. like who is firing who what is <laughs> happening here this is like you you can't expect me to see 25 stormtroopers on screen three of them have blasters and yet there's a bunch of blaster fire coming from off screen like you need to you need to clarify what the spatial process is. Yeah, uh, that whole cast needs to do some more combat training to actually, you know, I anyway. So, I thought Natasha Liu Bordizo as Sabine did a really good job with her combat. I thought her she did her action sequences were really good. And I give her a lot of credit, too, because it, it does the thing that you and I hate with Mandalorians where they take off the helmet because you have to you have a face actor Mm -hmm. You got to show you got to have them emote. So you have to have them lose their helmet for some reason or not have it on them at all. Yeah. And so you, you see her, uh, Natasha Liu, as Sabine a lot in combat. And I think she does a really good job. Rosario Dawson, like she's an orange makeup with a headdress. You don't need Rosario Dawson in that shot. Yeah. You can put a stunt person in there and make it look good. Mm -hmm. Her action sequences are so stiff. Yeah. So Thrawn, <laughs> have you read the Fantastic. book? Fantastic. Lars Mikkelsen, chef's kiss. Have you read the books where Thrawn's in? Hell no. Okay. I take it you only know him then for what, Rebels? They brought him back I know Rebels? him through Rebels, but like I, okay. I've seen a lot of like Easter eggs like in Rebels in his office. He has like two lizards hovering over an orb, yeah. which I guess those are like yeah. force sensitive lizards that can negate the force for a Jedi. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My confusion with this live action Thrawn is, and I know, I know, I know, I know it's, it's very difficult to portray a villain who's six steps ahead of the, uh, who's six steps ahead of the, the good guys in, in a show or a movie, because it seems like a cheat half the time. So part of, of what was what my disbelief of them showing him is that I have to believe this is the plan until we get to the actual air of the empire movie, which I don't know if that's two seasons away. I don't know if that's Ahsoka season one, two, three Mando four, 
uh, Acolyte season one plus Book of Boba Fett two. I don't know all the spinoffs and all the stuff they're manipulating that's supposed to lead us to an era of the Empire movie. But I didn't buy that he was ahead of the plan this whole damn time because turning this lady into an awesome, you know, a great mother with a green lightsaber just to have her killed. And then he and then he casually says she did her part. That was your plan. <laughs> that's not a great plan, man. That's 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 the only part I didn't like because Thrawn, you're right. Chef's kiss. Those micro facial expressions as he's watching this stuff unfold is so good. It is what I want from the Chiss and why the Chiss, when I play uh, Star, uh, Star Wars The Old Republic, I always choose to play a Sith because the Sith, one, they look cool. But two, it's just the it's just the, the stoicism that is supposed to be part of their character and his little like tweaks and hmm. I mean, he's a, a, a hum and like a slight smirk says like three paragraphs worth of words. It's lovely. Yeah, I, I, I'm not one to like fawn over the bad guys. Um, I'm a Boy Scout kind of person. I like my good guys. Um, I thought um, Iman Esfendi was really good as Ezra. Um, I think Dave Filoni did a, or the casting director did a really good job of translating the the rebels people into the rebels animated characters into live action. Again, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, fantastic as Hera. Um, Natasha Liu Bordizo, great as Sabine. Um, Rosario Dawson, I think, is still really good as Ahsoka, but there is still just, like, a charm missing from her. Like, Ahsoka always has this, like, wittiness to her. And Ahsoka as Rosario Dawson, or Rosario Dawson as Ahsoka, feels very flat, like very stoic and there the the charm is missing in my opinion i have a couple i know i've been i feel like i've been shitting on this show but i i really enjoyed it especially again as a rebels person and i like i feel like i've been educating you the listener and alex yeah. to some of the back stuff uh the backstory and i like that's where i'm getting excited about this show but the show needed to be more than like having like my my in-laws coming to me and being like, Josh, what what did this mean? And then me getting excited about it and making no sense because I'm talking about the father, the son, and the daughter, and Mortis and Ahsoka dying and being resurrected and becoming the new embodiment of the light side of the force. I, I still have to say, I really love my circle of Star Wars fans that I talk to. <laughs> um, like Josh at Quest Me, uh, Chat Tsunami, like, a lot of people that I talk to about Star Wars in my personal life, but dear God, the Star Wars fan base as a whole is just so annoying when it comes to <laughs> shit like uh, what what the hell? What uh, Merrick Inquisitor that was essentially just a a Night Sister spell. Yeah, like everyone's like, oh, he's Ezra. He's been manipulated by the the Night Sisters. He's already back. Thrawn's already back. And then he just ends up being a puff of smoke. And they're like, oh, well, uh, we got to move the goalposts. So, um, um, let's find out what the next thing is. And then I think it was episode six, maybe I think it was episode six, maybe seven, when we're introduced to Enoch when we first finally see Thrawn. And I saw Enoch, and I'm like, that better not be fucking Ezra. I, oh, dear. 
God, please let us see Ezra. Either tell <laughs> us that Enoch is Ezra by the end of this episode or get us to Ezra by the end of this episode. I cannot take another week of who is Ezra discourse. And thankfully, we see Ezra hanging out with the Nodi, uh, the cool little crab snail people, yeah. uh, hermit crab people. But like the minute Enoch showed up on screen, I was just like, dear God, I can already hear the keyboards typing and everyone <laughs> theorizing that he is another manipulated Ezra. See, I find that funny because like if you wanted to go like full negative, I could I could go full negative. But my thing about it is, is like it is the joy of like a good five minute rant. For me, you know, now that I'm, you know, I'm getting old. I'm in my 30s, Josh. <laughs> Don't remind me. A lose is a lot of punch because it, it's effervescence. It's nothingness. Instead, what I will just say was there were enjoyable parts. And I, I, I'm not going to go back and watch Clone Wars. I'm not going to go back and watch Rebels because they don't particularly interest me. What I got from these eight episodes was a passable time with things that I found interesting. I, I still contend that Filoni is not particularly talented at directing or writing for live action. And I, I think his skills and merits probably lie within animation. And and that is not saying that like, oh, like he's just not good enough. No, what I'm saying is that we'll take Seth MacFarlane. Ted was good. Ted 2 was not good. Once Upon the Time was, West was not good. But go back to television and you go back to the Orville. Once you pass episode five, it's fantastic. It's the best Star Trek we have in the last like 20 years. His talents lie within the procedural generation of television and the constraints they're in when he's given an unlimited budget it's not great feloni has found a talent and skill within that he has a very strong look like some people were complaining that oh they just look like cheap cosplay i'm sorry you look at each of one of those episodes the show costs like 200 and something million dollars the money is on the screen for those eight episodes it is there. They're gorgeous. They, they, they look great. I, I have some quibbles. Like, I don't believe Hera was quite translated appropriately because it's too a little bit too flat. They removed some of her, um, the Twilight uh, tales. They removed some of like the um, styling, styling that was on them from the animation to that. I don't understand why. I mean, they did it for Osaka. Osaka still has hers. Whatever. I could complain about it. But instead, what I got was I got eight episodes that were mildly interesting, that had some, that had things that intrigued me. I do want to see where Thrawn leads up. I think Thrawn's story will, to me, did they capture him appropriately from the books, the legacy material that I read, will end up in that movie. How is he ultimately defeated? Is it because they outsmarted him or outwitted him? Or is it because of stupid stuff like, hmm, yeah, she did her part? That, I'm sorry, dude, that, that was not a good plan. Now, do they get them there? That's what I need to know. I think... I'm excited for four switches. I want to see where the bond villain and her caretaker go. I want to see, do they eventually does, does Lucasfilm finally break down and go, you know what, Sebastian Stan, we need Luke. <laughs> you're Luke. You're in this thing. I want you and Mando and Osaka next to each other. And I want, you know, I, I, I want a, a baby Yoda in the cockpit, Blazing away, taking out, taking on Thrawn. You forgot Captain Carson Tiva, and Carson and Captain Carson Tiva. I want, I want to <laughs> see that, you know, and you know, and and the armor right there, 
saying this is the way because God, I love her. <laughs> Speaking of which, as you would say, you hate Star Wars fanboys. After episode seven, which was like called the traitor, whatever that, all that bullshit about how the armor was actually, she's the one who's secretly been making all that, like all the dark stormtrooper oh, yeah. bullshit. And she's secretly evil. And she's actually, she's actually like, the daughter of um, Darth Maul because you know she has this the, the little she's Darth got the Maul little spikes and shit. Yeah, the yeah, Darth Maul spark spikes. So she's actually that person. Blah blah blah. I'm like, dude, if they do that, I will straight up actually go drive to L.A., go to that soundstage, and be like, we need to talk because I love her <laughs> and she's my favorite. And how dare you? <laughs> but they did it. They did the right thing. She's yeah, just badass. <laughs> I do feel like the sequel trilogy, with notwithstanding. I feel like they do, for the most part, make the right Star Wars decision. I think that a lot of the fan theories like, oh, yeah, it's fun to speculate for a week. I think a lot of them skew more into like Snyder stuff that I think is dumb. Uh, but I mean, you do you, but don't shove it down everyone's throat. Like I I know we live in a clickbaity hot take society and we try to keep things more casual here. I just, I, the, and that's part of the reason why I don't really engage in a lot of discourse is because like most of the time I'm just like, your idea sucks. Let's just see what they do. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to me, it was passable. I, I'm probably not going to revisit it. I might revisit moments, but there is, there's nothing in this show that made me well up or go with excitement. I mean, like, I can put on chapter uh, chapter 16 of Mando and cry at, at, at a given moment. If I just fast forward to, you know, someone's arrived. Really? One X-Wing? What's that going to do? And I start getting the little thumps because it's Luke. It's my Luke. The Luke I've been wanting to see. The legacy Luke in his full power as a Jedi coming and destroying and coming to, to love and take baby Yoda. And then Luke going to Mando, hey, he needs your permission to leave. Oh, it gets me. There's nothing here that really did that for me. Instead, I'm intrigued by the cookies. They left a lot mm -hmm. of little, they left a little crumbs for me to go like, okay, cool. Sith witches. I've known they've been a thing forever. We're seeing them. We're seeing them in their power. What does Thrawn want with them? What is Thrawn doing? What did he do for 20 years with Ezra? What is this goal? And that is intriguing. And yeah. so, yeah, if they get a season two, sure, I'll watch it. Yeah, so I, I have one other note that it's going to bother me if I don't say it. Uh, it is a, it is shit canning um, a moment in the show, uh, in the finale, when Ezra is building his new lightsaber. Hu Yang is like, what are you doing? I have a system, blah, blah, blah. And uh, Ezra is trying to build his lightsaber, but he's looking for a certain kind of emitter which ends up being similar to or identical to what his master Kanan Jarrus's emitter was for his lightsaber. And it blows my fucking mind that the, they needed Sam Witwer on, on this set because this moment is one of those moments where like there's Sam Witwer loves to tell this story about how uh, the voice actor for Anakin in the clone wars had this brilliant soliloquy where he's talking to uh, as Anakin, he's talking to Shmi Skywalker as a force ghost or in like a force fever dream or something. And he's like, oh, I'd love for you to meet Padme. And like people are crying in the recording studio. And then Sam's like raising his hand. Are, are we going to do a new take? Because Shmi has met Padme and that like during episode one and one of the people in the booth with him 
was like, I've never seen anyone out dork Dave Filoni. Well done. This is another moment where three, four, five episodes ago, when Jason shows that he has force sensitivity because his father was a Jedi, because the force is inherent, uh, inherited, which I think is stupid. Hu Yang goes, oh, his father was Kanan Jarrus and he is, he is showing abilities. And then Ezra's building his lightsaber and he he's doing his thing. He's putting it together. And Hu Yang goes, who, who taught you how to build a lightsaber? And Sabim interrupts and says his master. And they have this weird, like, we're going to play around it moment. And essentially it comes down to Hu Yang not directly saying who was your master. Uh, and then Ezra goes, Kanan Jarrus. As like it's supposed to be this big moment for anyone who hasn't seen Rebels. And Hu Yang goes, Oh, I have that exact emitter, and blah blah blah. And he was just like you in this moment. But like he Hu Yang knows that Jason is the son of Kanan, but he spent 20 some years with these rebel crew members, the Spectre crew members and Ahsoka. And he never found out that Ezra, who they talk about nonstop, was trained by Kanan, who was also on the ship with them. Bullshit. I'm sorry. I Like I said, I'm shit canning this moment because you could have written around that so easily where you could have just set, had Ezra just being crazy because he's he's in a rush to build a lightsaber and he's just he he's like it's not right it's not right it's this isn't what i need this isn't what it should be this isn't what i want and you could have hu yang hand it to him and be like is this what you're looking for and he's like just like kanan's yes thank you mm-hmm. and that would have been perfect would have been fine if nothing else but you have to play around this moment where Hu Yang's like, who was his master? I know everything else. I've helped every Jedi ever build their lightsaber, but this is a gap in my knowledge, despite me hanging around with these people for 20 plus years. So I, I will explain away that moment. Now, as you know, Hu Yang is voiced by David Tennant, who is the 10th and 14th doctor. And the doctor often travels about and interacts with people at different points of the life. And so at that moment, he didn't know that because he hadn't yet traveled in the past yet to explain to himself that he knew that. The world between worlds, we full circle. <laughs> you may not have seen the fact on that ship in the background underneath a tarp is, in fact, a blue phone box. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it would be like more of like a neon green. They got rid of the blue stuff. Oh, that's right. Because <laughs> Anakin said so. <laughs> uh, so like that that is... I, like I said, I I don't like being like canon is all. I don't like being uh, the kind of person that says like, oh, I, I don't gatekeep. I you enjoy what you enjoy. You you take in what you take in. But it, even within the context of the show, that moment made yeah. no damn sense. I had seen some fans complain about some of that moment and stuff, but I mean, I I'm not going to fault it. It, it. it is what it is. The my main one of my main concerns going forward is that Filoni and Favreau really need to get in line with what they're doing. Yeah, because this definitely feels like his sand, like Filoni sandbox. He wrote every episode. He's like, these are my toys. This is what I like. Mando season three 
really felt like rushed rewrites and cobbling together for something better, bigger and better, which may not necessarily be something bigger and better in my opinion. And Lord knows book of Boba Fett was trash after like when it became Mando 2.5. <laughs> well, I thought, I thought that's when it got good was when it became Mando 2.5 because Boba Fett wanting to be a gangster who doesn't want to do crime and would rather he's more of a sheriff than he is anything like that's not interesting. Well, what I mean, it was like, is that it wasn't even his own show anymore, which is a problem, yeah. that, which is a problem yeah. that I have. And well, I mean, you, that's the same thing with Ahsoka here. Like, you could argue that Sabine was more of the main character than Ahsoka was. Yeah, but I mean, then you have to say the same thing is going on about Mando. Mando season three, 90 percent of his episodes where Mando gets beat up and someone else saves the day. You yeah. Know? So they need to get on board with how they're playing with each other's toys. Mm-hmm. Part of the problem is the production timeline on all this shit, too, is they... They seemingly don't start the next project until they figure out if this one was well received or not. Yeah. And and I mean, I know we just had a writer strike. We're still in the midst of the actor strike, which pro union go union. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it seems like a really bad model to follow if you're trying to tell a story because you're adjusting on the fly, which clearly worked well for you in Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> it. It's something that with the we've talked about it before with these production timelines, with these streaming shows where, yeah, you're putting a movie budget into it. But movies nowadays are filmed and released within a year. Venom Mm -hmm. was announced in like October of 2016, 2017, maybe 20. I think it was 2018. And then it was released October 2019. Yeah. Like I say what you will about the quality of the movie. But that that is kind of what movies are nowadays is they're made within a year where previously movies would be made over like a five year span. You would see if the movie did well and it's like home video release. And then you'd green light the project. You'd have pre-production. You'd film for a year and then you have a year of post-production. But since 2010, yeah, movies have, like the timelines for movie production has gotten shorter and shorter. Yeah. And I, I, I don't understand how that works with these streaming shows where you have to wait 90 days to figure out if the show was a success and then you have to begin the pre-production process from there and then you don't even start filming and filming takes a year for some reason. Yeah. Which again, I, Game of Thrones broke production, in my opinion, for like these big epic TV shows. Yeah. That is... A- that is also another thing like I, I thought was really particularly bizarre is that like so Mando takes like six to eight months to film, which they're talking about how they have that set that they can do anything. It makes everything so much faster. But the then, volume. Yeah. Yeah. And then but then you have um, Bo-Katan talking about like how like, oh, yeah, this show, you know, is so much di- is so much different from when they were filming um, Battlestar Galactica. They're like, well, one he's like the you know, the uh, the catering budget is bigger than budget of our tv shows but also like typically with tv production you get maybe two or three takes and that's all you get it's like but the here he's like and that's where like i I cut my teeth because i was like they called me one take kate and but here you know we can play around we 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 do 30 to 50 takes per shot i'm like you're standing around a bunch of people with helmets what do you need 50 freaking takes for (laughs) And Mando's voice is dubbed in post-production. 
heck, anyone who's wearing a helmet is dubbed in post production. What the hell are you doing? Fifty takes for what are 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 you finding the story while you're filming? That's not a great way to do a show. That destroys the budget. That destroys editing. That destroys the reason that you have everything. I, I, I don't know. And it's what and it came down that um that Iger is slashing one. He's slashing the streaming. He's attacking heavily because they're losing hand over fist because they're finding out that, you know, you can't just infinitely grow a streaming service and hope that everyone, you know, subscribes. So the budget supposedly for MCU shows and Star Wars shows going forward for a TV show is going to be 75 million. That is a drastic budget decrease considering that um, Secret War Invasion was 250. Rumor is Mando season three was around 300. Like, where is that budget going? It's not like, like, yeah, I, I, yeah. I mean, I assume the volume is expensive, but I mean, Secret Invasion was filmed on site and like maybe they did have some volume shots, but I, I can't imagine they were that, that, that many. But I, either way, I don't know. This don't again know. is a, an episode unto itself. Um, <laughs> But there, there's a weird production timeline going on here, and we might not even see this big team-up movie for like seven more years, if not longer, yeah. based on these production timelines. Is what, what what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. So like it, it's a really weird process that I don't know. But to give the 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 talking smack rating, I think Ahsoka is a must see for any Star Wars fan, especially if you've invested in the animated stuff. Which I do think this is kind of a payoff for a lot of that. But for casuals or people who only invest in live action or who just like like Alex has said, he didn't particularly care for the animation style of the Clone Wars or Rebels, which, uh, again, there's a weird appreciation for the the Rebels art style aesthetic because it yeah. is inspired by Ralph McQuarrie. So like if you go in understanding that, I think that allows you to appreciate the show in a different way and it, it allows you to accept the the art style a little bit more. Since you pointed that out, I was doing some light Googling during one of your rants. I can see what you mean now. And I, that very angular, tight style, like yeah. the original Vader mask was very triangular with everything. Yep. Yeah, I'm like, and okay. when you yeah, yeah, when yeah. Vader shows up, you can be like, oh, yeah, they pull that straight from Ralph McQuarrie. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, I will say it is a must see because I love four switches and I just want to say they're <laughs> oath. <laughs> and, and chopper. Like, you you yeah. can't you can't. Chopper. chopper i love chopper why did they have more chopper toys i need a chopper well, toy. i mean he he got his own poster and they, they've started releasing stuff and he's in galaxy's edge now which yeah. i've seen some videos of people talking with chopper and i mean say what you will about the disney magic but if chopper were real and he were in disney world or disneyland he he would destroy so many people's phones because he would get pissed at them for saying stuff. Like oh. I saw one video. I can't even remember what the context is, but I'm just like, oh, man, they're so lucky that they can't actually do the chopper thing because chopper would like run over that person's foot or steal their phone and smash it. So just you know, between you and me and our listeners, Mando wanders uh, Disney, uh, you know, Star Wars land or whatever the heck they call it. Galaxy's Edge. Galaxy's Edge. And he has a baby Yoda with him that actually is animated and moves and talks. Either one or two things is going to happen. Either I'm going to get hired at Disney so that I can become one of the Disney faces and get the costume and then quit that same day and just walk out in costume. And they will have to come and find me. They're Disney. They'll find you. No, no, not find. Fine. 
because I'm not giving up the outfit and the baby hood. <laughs> or two, that will be chased out of the park because I will have knocked over uh, knocked over Mando and stolen baby hood. <laughs> <laughs> and if Chopper's there, Chopper will assist because Chopper's a good boy and he knows what to do. <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah, he would. All right, well, let's get out of here, Ahsoka. Okay. I must see show. Uh, thank you so much, everyone, for for sticking with us through all this. And don't forget to uh, join our Discord because we have some great conversations. I did try to have a, an Ahsoka discussion in there, but uh, it felt like I was going to start repeating myself, so I kind of distanced myself from that. Yeah. Uh, don't forget to follow us on all social medias at Talking Smack Pod on Blue Sky, Instagram, Threads, Hive, Post News, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and Lonnie's website. Email us your thoughts, question, reviews at tsmackpod at gmail.com. Thank you to Leo Allen for our wonderful music you're hearing now. Alex, who did the remix? Uh, the remix this week is done by the Cranberries. <laughs> oh, my dreams. Exactly. Thank you to Beppo and Retroil Studios for our avatars. Please like, subscribe, rate, review. And most importantly, thanks again so much for listening. Take care, and we will see you next week. Also watch Star Trek.